Welcome all to episode 37 of the Fantasy Football Surgery podcast coming to you on the 8th of November 2016. We are heading into another one of those international breaks, which as FPL managers, we all absolutely loathe, but we have to endure it. And naturally, there's going to be some thinking this week about the impact it's going to have on the following fixtures. Welcoming back to the podcast, once again, the editor-in-chief, it's the Iceman. Thanks, Billy. We have another guest this week. Welcome to him. We certainly do. Yes, so we have been very fortunate with some of the guests that we've had in recent weeks. I think J&O United had, went down really well with uh, some of you listeners last week. This week, a very knowledgeable man when it comes down to all things FPL. You'll probably know him best from Fantasy Football First as Chorley Rocks, but I'd like to welcome to the podcast Mr. Paul Morgan. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, fantastic. Really good to have you on board. Looking forward to see what you've got to say about the uh, the upcoming fixtures. Do you just want to tell the listeners a little bit about kind of how you're, you've been become involved in FPL and um, how long you've been involved with it for? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I started playing FPL when I was challenged at work um, in my first job after university, back in the days of doing um, fantasy football in the newspapers. Where you oh, were you going to mention the Sun newspaper then? Yeah, it was. It was the yeah. Sun, yeah. <laughs> yeah there, that's exactly it's The only reason why we bought it really was for the, the coverage of the uh, the sport and the uh, fantasy yeah. football. And, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> when it came online, it really kind of woke up for me, you know, and I started playing FPL in its current format in uh, 2006. From there, I started using a few spreadsheets to get into it and i became more and more geeky and and uh, more and more yeah. stats based and eventually joined a blog called fantasy football cheats from years and years ago and i started producing some stats on there then i set up my own little website to demonstrate the stats uh cheats shut down uh and my site ended up being a fully blown site on the on the back of it really definitely a great resource for all fpl managers recommend that uh, that you'll check it out and i know that you uh, feature on other podcasts at times as well yeah we have um the fan feud podcast we carry the same ethos as the website in that um if we're going to present something then there has to be some evidence behind what we say we can't just say uh, so-and-so had a great game we have to say why they had a good game and uh, give some reasoning behind it I see. So it's very much in the, in the style of what the Iceman's doing, very much stats orientated and uh, based on the form rather than just chance and emotion. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be stats, for example. It could be a YouTube video or, you know, it might yeah. reference um, something visual, it might be a yeah. heat map. Um, okay. So it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be statistical, but there has to be some evidence to lend credibility and weight behind what someone's writing or saying. Like and and that's, 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 that's the ethos, really. I like it. Some of an empirical approach to FPL. I think that's certainly the way that a lot of the managers are, are going now, given how difficult it is to predict uh, each game week. Um, well, this, I'm sure, will be the Iceman's dream then, listening to some of your theories behind the players this week. Looking forward to seeing your shouts for the podcast. Let's get right into it. So we're just going to have a talk about our teams and how they fared in this previous game week prior to the international break. Iceman, can I come to you first and uh, see how you got on? Yeah, you can. Did it all right again. I seem to be in the higher region of the teams which are doing okay each week. Not doing averagely, just above average. I hit 65 this week. 
Um, yeah. Started okay, Aguero captaincy. I did, well, I pussied out a little bit. I was going to go Firmino. I had it on Austin at periods, but then I just kind of thought, I'm going to follow the trend and go Aguero just in case. I'm, I'm doing all right at the moment. And I regretted it as soon as he only scored six. Um, I had Alonso's got me 13. The rest of my team didn't do too well. KDB scored an eight. Yeah, Austin 7, not too bad, up to 18,000 overall, so yeah, pretty good. So a good rise for you this week, I've got to give you credit as well for that uh, Alonso return, you've been shouting him for a number of weeks, um, I've noticed this season as well, you're actually backing some of your shouts as well, and it seems to be coming good for you. Yeah, some of which I didn't do last season. I remember the days when you were shouting on Nautovic and not picking him and scoring double attack, yeah, so... Good to see you're you're trusting your own stats this season. Mm. Well, in terms of my team, um, not so good. 48 points, so not a great return this week. Going forward, not too bad. I had Firmino, Costa and Aguero. I've got to say Costa is probably my man of the season, FPL-wise so far. Just so consistent every week. Once again, though, it was a bit of a defensive horror show for me. I had Francis... Koscielny and the usually disappointing John Stones, the the dream about two clean sheets. Some of you may have been following our Twitter feed over the weekend. We were tweeting out kind of goals as they went and as they happened. And actually, there was a bit of an uproar when we tweeted out John Stones for a cleanie two weeks in a row. <laughs> and literally a minute later, Middlesbrough equalised. It was uh, it was quite a moment, and everyone <laughs> believed that we jinxed John Stones, which actually as an Arsenal fan, I don't mind too much because it didn't mean City went above us. But uh, yeah, so apologise uh, to the FPL community for that uh, poor turn of events. Just just for you on, you say we, you mean yourself. The royal we. Yeah, you posted that up, not we as a uh, team of surgeons. It was more bully posted that up. I did, uh, but unfortunately the editor didn't step in like he was meant to, so it's a shared <laughs> responsibility. No, I'll take that one on the chin. I, I did jinx, jinx uh, John Stones this week, so mm. there we go. Paul, what about yourself? How did you get on this week? Um, I did okay. Um, I got uh, 67 points on the week. Um, which was okay. That's modest. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I kind of buggered up game week three and four, and I feel I've been playing catch up ever since. To be honest, I have uh, Grant in net and um, Peters and Stoke. Unfortunately, yeah. conceded reasonably early on, particularly gutting as I'd Pickford as my uh, my bench goalie. Um, in the debate between Alonso versus Aspi. I, I recognise that Alonso is particularly good going forward and he offers a lot in attack, as demonstrated this week. However, I feel that um, if you play the head-to-head game, Aspi is probably the the more preferable choice. My, my gut feel here is that Alonso and Aspi are, are probably going to end the season on around about the same points, mainly because Alonso will get... Lots of, or not lots of goals, but he'll get goals. Maybe one in five games he'll get a goal and one in four he'll get an assist and things like that. Um, Whereas on the other weeks, Aspi will be picking up ones and twos on the bonus points. And consequently, coming into the season, they'll have the same points. So because I play the head-to-head as well as the league format, I feel Aspi's point profile is probably more consistent than Alonso's. So I went with Aspi, who got me six points this week. However, I did have Coutinho and Firmino. I doubled up on Liverpool in midfield. Oh, great shouts. Yeah. I've, I've got Walcott and Allen. I've got to make a decision on Walcott, really, what to do with him. Up front, I had uh, 
Dini, Defoe and Aguero. Aguero's my captain, so he picked up 12 points. Defoe got 12 as well. I also have Sterling, who didn't play. So I've got a decision really to make on Walcott and Sterling this week. And um, I have made an early move already. So I have sold Sterling and bought in Hazard. Yeah, I was going to say that would be the better option. Get rid of Sterling. I, I was about to say I've made exactly the same move this week. I wasn't confident on uh, on Sterling, on his form or fitness. And Hazard just seems the obvious go-to at the moment. Yeah, and Sterling has been playing a little bit deeper as well um, last three four games compared to how he played right at the start of the season. So um, I think his opportunities to score or assist will just be lesser. Um, You know, it'll be be more infrequent. So therefore, uh, I felt that he was a player who probably had to go. I didn't want to do a double transfer and and remove Walcott out and take a four-point hit, just really because it's an international break and you never know when a player's going to get injured when when they're away gallivanting on their jollies. Absolutely, and I think that's the the anxiety for a lot of uh, FPL managers this week. What impact is that international break going to have on, I think, the the individual players, but also the form of teams? You've got Liverpool in you know, the best form they've been in for a while at the moment. Is that going to be broken up by an international break? We'll have to wait and see. But overall, really good game week for yourself. Into the 60s, well above the average. So no doubt you've uh, you've moved up in the rankings. Yeah, I've, I've jumped up. Uh, my ranking, I'm quite disappointed with it, to be honest. Um, I'm a 235,000. I'm climbing consistent, consistently around about 50,000 a week at the moment. My target this season now had to, has to be changed. So really, if I, if I can get somewhere between fifty and 30,000 by Christmas and then between twenty and 10,000 by the end of the season, I'll, I'll be happy with that now. So certainly a good goal to aim for, and I think a lot of uh, managers will be able to relate to. It's amazing if you can get it if you get it wrong a couple of weeks on just a few players, that leaves you with a real dilemma because you're trying to undo that, you know, another month later, and really look into your next wild card. So I think a lot of us can can probably relate to that. Um, okay, well that's given us a nice overview of the teams initially. I'm just going to run through the top ten in our mini league now we've had on twitter this week as well some suggestions that as well as focusing on the top we should be really uh, naming and shaming the bottom as well i'm just going to try and shout out who sent us that tweet so that was eddie hughes who was saying it's a bit cutthroat in their mini league so we're going to follow suit just for now in terms of our mini league, so the top 10, we've got in 10th place, uh, L11, that's Nils Henning Gunderson. Up to 9th place, we've got Eddie Hughes. So FC Tanami Tanami. In 8th place, dropping is the FPL forecast with the differential 11, who are actually hogging uh, the highest spots for a while. Henry Powell in 7th place. Look, my Semi Eriksson. <laughs> Very strong name. Azim Khan, the Chimp Paradox, up to sixth. Kunal Roran in fifth place with the RK Mavericks. Up to fourth place, Mohamed Ismail. Are you for Real? That's never going to happen. Um, <laughs> nice thought, though. And uh, are you actually back for West Ham? So maybe one for us to consider later. Yeah, Anthony Clante, United. Andreas Olander down to third. The special one, Dimitar Todorov in second. And still topping the league, although losing some of his lead this week uh, with Todorov catching up. Douglas Munro and the mysterious Duke. Nice one, Douglas. I did speak to Douglas on Twitter this week. Yeah. He, uh, he actually said that his last team he made in a drunken wildcard mistake. <laughs> so, so someone who probably doesn't take it that seriously, but it's doing really well. Just they do say our real feelings come out when we are drunk. So, yeah. so who knows? <laughs> 
Um, anyone down the bottom you want to name and shame, Iceman? Uh, you're just looking at the bottom now. Uh, there's a couple which look like they've only just joined the league, so I'm not going to name and shame them because that would be a bit harsh. But looking at teams which have been playing, I'm going for Sammy Tampan. Is a BM only, only on 317 points, doing terribly at the moment. I'm uh, going to choose someone else to name and shame. Daryl Wangden. It sounds like I'm making these names up. Darryl, it really does. Just, yeah. just, just the team name of Daryl's team. So, terrible team name. Terrible uh, score. Interesting last name, though. Going for another one would be Shane Mari Marthu with uh, Richards Bay Rangers only on 382. So, there's just a select few of teams that are doing terrible at the bottom. Who knows, you may be on this list next week and I'm sure your friends are going to mock you if they do listen to this podcast. And can I could just say how lovely it is this season not to be in, spoken in the same breath as those <laughs> bottom dwellers. It, it really is a breath of fresh air. I'm going to shout one team name that I like this week. 279th place, James Wren, the Mane-faced god. Very nice. nice. Yeah, good. Okay, enough jibber-jabber. Let's go down to the serious business. So, international... Uh, break week now i put out a poll and i'm going to take responsibility for this i put out a poll on twitter um asking the question what are your biggest concerns for the international game week um or the uh, game week following the international break rather 24 percent of you said the biggest injury risk 17 percent of you said the biggest bench risk after the break the bpl club most affected that was only nine percent but 50 percent of you were concerned by all of them hmm. so um, gentlemen i will ask you to think about this in your discussion of players let's come to the first game and what a game it is manchester united versus arsenal on the 19th of november it is the 12 30 kickoff in traditional style, Iceman, I'm going to come to you to talk about this first as an Arsenal fan. Thoughts on this one? This is one of those games which can go either way and it doesn't matter who you've got in your team out of the two, I don't think. I don't think you can you can look at this game as, oh, I've got to put, you know, say, Alexis in, who I've just seen might be injured at the moment. I don't know if that's going to be lasting very long or Wilcott or anyone like that. I wouldn't say uh, you can really predict this one. It's, it's at United, isn't it? So Ibra scoring now could have sparked something. United... Might be playing Carrick now. Uh, he he's won all the six games that he's started so far, but I am interested to see what's going to happen to Mkhitaryan. Don't know what's happening with him. Whether he's injured or whether he's just not playing at all, or you know, Jose just doesn't want him in the team. Do you guys know anything more about Mkhitaryan? Maybe I believe he's had some injury problems. Um, he wasn't starting for Jose at the start of the season. He he didn't seem to. He's a superb player, but he wasn't fitting into his system, somewhat like Fabregas at Chelsea. Paul, did you have any strong views on this? I, I read that he actually handed in a transfer request. Oh, no. This was after the game. I can't remember who United played, but it was the game where... It might have been the City game. Was that, that was his first home debut, wasn't it? And yeah. um, he, he played in the right, and he had an absolute shocker, uh, particularly in the first half, and Jose singled him out. My understanding is that the um, following week, Mkhitaryan asked to leave, and consequently there was a bit of a falling out. And that's part of the reason why he's not particularly being played much. However, that is gossip and hearsay, and I don't have any written evidence to back that up but but it, it, it is what I'm led to believe yeah I mean so there's been certainly reports um about an injury but yes there's a lot of uh, ex-players like Gary Neville have slammed him for his attitude and even a rumor that uh, Jose doesn't think he will actually show up in the big games and that that's 
really bad news given the way United have been playing this season. Yeah, no, yeah, it's shocking. Yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? It's, it's strange how United have a history of taking these German Bundesliga Player of the Years <laughs> yeah. and making them look absolutely average. I think it's only really this season that Herrera's looked particularly good. Yeah, yeah, he was all right. Don't get me wrong, but uh, last season, but this season when he's come in, say for Fellaini as supporting the, the defensive two midfield, you know, he's looked absolutely quality compared to Moped. Um, <laughs> where you know before that we had Park, uh, he was a German Bundesliga Player of the Year, and then he came over, and it, it took a long time for him to become established as well. So, I think my conclusion is that maybe. German football fans look for something a bit different. Um, just, just yeah, I think. It, sorry, go on, go on, you go. No, no, I just, I just, I just think it'd be a while before we see him, and we'll, we'll, we'll. I think it'd be a long time before he's contributed to our FPL team. Certainly. Yeah, it's a shame. I do think he would be able to help Ibrahimovic, which I have literally overseen that he is out for the Arsenal game because he's received yeah. another yellow card, so he won't be playing that game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, Rooney's now back in the team and he did play well in the last game granted it was against Swansea uh, couple of couple of assists coming off the left hand side for Rooney yeah it was against them so it looks like Swansea making any player look good but um, yeah Rooney could uh, prove to be a bit of a rare differential so we, we've talked about the issues at United we haven't called any players just yet are you put are you Hanging your hat on Rooney for this one? Do you think no, there's a chance of no points chance. for him? No, no, I'm not. He, do, he does like a game against the Gunners. He does. Yeah, <laughs> but... I, I wouldn't go for him either. I think from what I read, Jose feels quite let down by Rooney in that when he first arrived, there was a lot of resentment towards Schneiderling because Schneiderling had spent half the season injured, so therefore resting in Germany, following his and following his girlfriend around the world playing tennis. <laughs> and the seniors like Carrick and Rooney didn't particularly like him, so. So hence, Jose made the stand with uh, Schneiderling. Uh, sorry, not Schneiderling, with Schweinsteiger. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so consequently, because of the, the, the resentment towards Schneiderling and Jose's stance, which is backed up if you look in the club accounts, and the club accounts have actually written off that transfer fee and wiped it out. Huh. So because they've moved him on, Jose was expecting, I think, a bit more loyalty from uh, Carrick and Rooney that he hasn't seen. And yeah. I, th- I think Jose would love to sell Rooney and, and pass him on and I think there's probably because there is a record for Rooney to get and his goals or appearances and I can't quite remember which the record is uh, and he's very very close to it. I think the club hierarchy don't want to let Rooney go until he's achieved mm. that record particularly because of his marketability value yeah. um, as an ex player and Jose's caught in a bit of a rock there really uh, so I don't think we're going to see Rooney much unless he absolutely has to be played and I certainly can't see him coming out against Arsenal, you know, when Jose really needs a, a draw, doesn't he? Just to I mean, I was going to say, I'd back that up, Paul, because actually my, my first shout for this game was going to be an Arsenal defender. I'd, I'd actually be quite confident in any one of the Arsenal back four in this game, if, in the absence of Ibrahimovic and the fact that we've had these problems with Rooney. Anthony Martial has been in the news this week. That doesn't seem to be working out. That's become quite public. Um, there's discontent with Shaw and Smalling. Mkhitaryan isn't working out. So Jose's upset a lot of people here or isn't man- managing them right. And it just feels like without Ibrahimovic, who I think given his attitude and his ego will always be consistent no matter what the situation, mm. without him, I actually quite fancy Arsenal to get a clean sheet at Old Trafford. Yeah, also, if you've got Sanchez or Wilcott, I wouldn't necessarily remove them. They've always got that potential to get a goal. You could expect and, I mean, just the... 
just a word on this because um uh, from both of you would be good i think the the issue we've talked about in the past is actually how do you squeeze all these top performing strikers and midfielders into your team at the moment if sanchez is injured and you know having a play for a consistent period of time i'm assuming most of fpl are not going to be holding on to him so that's going to free up 11 plus million for a lot of managers where is that money going to go as you see it at this point in time? Before we, you first, you, nice man. Sorry, before we start talking about uh, removing Sanchez at all, uh, just looking at his injury just on BBC, it just says he's picked up a low-grade muscle injury. So it says he might be there for the next game, for Chile's next game. So I wouldn't look into it too deep at the moment. I would wait until the end of the international break before you make any, any movements on Sanchez because Arsenal's running after the United game is pretty strong. We've got got Bournemouth, West Ham, Stoke, Everton in the next four. And then we've got Man City. And then after that, again, it's very strong. We might be willing to um, to actually stock up on Arsenal players soon and maybe doing the same as Liverpool and doubling up. But the only thing is about Arsenal players, they're not as reliable as just say Liverpool no. at the moment. So. I, I, I agree. You asked me about um, Sanchez in that, um, you know, if it's unproven that he is injured now for a while, definitely hold on to him. However, I think if he is injured, get rid of him straight away. Don't even hang about. And the reason why I say that is because he's played consistently for 12 months now without break. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he had uh, a hamstring injury around about November, December time last year and came back in early January. And then he's played more or less every single game except the EFL Cup all the way through the season. Then he went away and played in the Copper America he came back, he, he didn't take part in pre-season apart from, um, I think, half a game. And then he's come straight back into the Premiership and played consistently all the way through. So he's played constantly for 12 months now, almost you know a game and a half or two games a week. And, and, yeah. and he must be absolutely knackered and he's probably close to breaking point. And I think he needs a rest anyway. And I mean, even though his performances don't support that, you know, the players do tend to get worn out. So... I wouldn't be surprised if he had a small knock, he'd get a longer break than you would expect. Yeah, um, and we all saw what happened, you know, when Wenger didn't rest him, that the warning signs were there. Wenger kept pushing him, inevitably we ended up without him for a period of games, and it cost us, I think, quite a bit. So I, w- I would agree with you. It's, um, you know, if he is injured, it might be time to take him out, but let's wait and see for that. Let's be patient. So, gents, can I just get a couple of um, shouts? Because I still feel we haven't quite labelled any specific players for for this one. So, Iceman, if you could give us one or two names you think would be worth considering. For for this game particularly, like I say, I don't think there's any nailed on. I wouldn't want to hang my, ha- head on, uh, hang my hat on any of them. I don't want you to hang yourself at all. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> just have some players. <laughs> hang, hang my head on any of them at the moment. I, I would just wait wait a week if you're looking to bring in Arsenal players, see how it goes, wait for Arsenal with the international break and go from there. Sorry to sit on the fence. That's okay. Which, which, do you know what? I admire that because usually you're right in there with the Gunners. Um, Paul, any players that you would shout and, and actually really encourage people to think about for this one? No, I, I also agree. I was looking at the um, the simulation stats on our website. We have, we have a, a tool um, yeah. uh, that helps people choose players for their team. And, and the way it does it is it, it simulates uh, every kick of every game and repeats that simulation uh, thousands and thousands of times. But at the end of every simulation, it calculates the FPL points and then we use the average of the FPL points to to then advise statistically on player predictions. That's so really what I've got here... Stats. <laughs> yeah, so what a fantastic here, piece of work. Really, <laughs> keep it really simple. Is I've got the 
percentages for each score line. So, for example, um, Man United won, Arsenal won. Out of the thousands and thousands of simulations that happened, it was Man United won, Arsenal won 17.6% of the time. And the other two biggies were Man United nil, Arsenal won, and Man United nil, Arsenal two, both around just slightly over 10%. So I think if we were to pick anybody, I'd probably err towards an Arsenal player. But I just don't think that those percentages are, uh, are high enough, really, to, to give a strong feeling of picking a particular player. So I think this, for me, this is a type of game where I, I, I'd, I'd bench. I'd certainly ben- definitely bench a Man United player. I might take a punt on, say, Arsenal, on, say, um, Walcott. Other than that, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd avoid this game. Wow, fantastic. So perhaps not the outcome listeners might have been expecting, but... Um... Certainly Man United and Arsenal not producing the same exciting matches that we would have seen in the 2000s and the Keenan Vieira era. So, OK, well, let's move on to Crystal Palace versus Man City. So the first of our three o'clock kickoffs. Paul, if I come to you for this one first, I'd be really interested to hear if there's a, if you've done a simulation for this one and where you think it'd be worth going player wise. <laughs> yeah, I've got them all. Uh, right, <laughs> we'll take nice. them. <laughs> so ho- hopefully you won't get too bored by these stats. No, no, so the three big score lines, you know, the, the ones above 10% are Crystal Palace 0, Man City 2, Crystal Palace 1, Man City 1, and Crystal Palace 1, Man City 2. So the yeah. bot seems to be quite confident that City's probably going to score one or two, and it's given Palace a chance of scoring one. So I think with that, the, there's the obvious candidate of Aguero and uh, KDB. I, I wouldn't really look beyond there to be honest the fact that Crystal Palace won Man City won was 11% of simulations does make me wonder whether we'd pick a City defender it's quite interesting about City in that they're quite good at conceding just the one goal for me in fantasy football terms you know a team that concedes over 10 games a team that concedes two goals every other game it is better than a team that concedes one goal every game and Man City fall into that category of conceding a goal a game at the moment. Yeah. And that makes me think that I probably want to avoid their defenders until they're at the point where they're, con- you know, they're, they're keeping a few more clean sheets. There's nothing to say you can't take a punt on it. You know, if, if you've got three Man City defenders, maybe sell two of them. But if you've got one, then you can always hang on. It's not major panicky time. But I think there are teams with better FPL defender point profiles out there. So you got Aguero, you got Kun, you've probably got Benteke in there. Zaha seems to be doing a lot with not a lot of end products at the moment. I'd be avoiding him, to be honest. Because that uh, conflicts with uh, JNO, who shouted him last week and he got an assist. Yeah, yeah. It's just ben, Benteke's brilliant in the air, isn't he? He's, he's yeah. so good at headers. And I remember uh, Villa, he, um, 30% of his goals, in fact, more than 30% of his goals came from headers. I think, I think he had the highest number of headers in the Premiership that year. Was, he was um, really good for Villa. So it's great to see Pardew putting the crosses in. You could see the team change. If you looked at the stats for the number of crosses that Palace have done per game, every game this season they've put more and more lofted balls into the penalty spot for Ben, penalty box for ben Teke to, to header in, which is brilliant. You know, it, it, and Man City, they're not the tallest of defenders, so so I think there is a good chance of a goal there. And I think I wouldn't rush out to buy Benteke, but if I had him, I'd play him. And I wouldn't rush out to buy Zaha. If I had him, I'd probably play him. If not, I'd put him first player on the bench, definitely. 
So it's a bit like the conversation we had over Defoe last week. It's one of those ones where if you've got them, actually keep a bit of faith and, and the stats suggest they're, you know, they could come good, but actually it's not worth rushing out for at this point. Okay, Iceman, any thoughts on what Paul said there? Um, yeah, it's, it's very compelling, isn't it? But looking at Crystal Palace, uh, you know, their points are too spread for me now. They're looking like it could come from anywhere. It looks like it could be Dan, Townsend, Punction, Benteke. I'm, I'm not really going to go near them at the moment, like you say. Man City, obviously, you've got your... I think there's, there's three players in contention in my eyes. It's Aguero, uh, Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Gundogan. Um, or Gundogan, depending on how people say it. I, I don't really care. <laughs> Sterling's gone completely off the radar now, though. Um, and as uh, Charlie said, he's uh, holding back a bit more, so wouldn't be going for him. But yeah, if you haven't got Sergio Aguero, eight attempts on goal in the last game, he was top for game week 11. And if, if you're looking to the likes of Kevin De Bruyne as well, I've got a load of stats on him. I want to compare him with Sanchez and Hazard. I was looking at the last six game weeks of Sanchez and Hazard and then KDB's first six game weeks because I feel like those are the games he actually played in. And yeah. if you look at it overall based on stats, KDB came out on top. These are the highest priced midfielders. So if you're looking to get rid of Sanchez, you're going to turn to either KDB or Hazard. I mean, looking at their average positioning overall, Sanchez is actually one who's starting up top. So he's furthest forward. Then it's KDB, then Hazard. KDB hasn't been playing the last six games. So he's trying to get into it and trying to get flowing at the moment. So you've got that against him. But yeah, overall, he comes out on top with um, he's actually involved more in the play with the most amount of touches of the ball just shading Sanchez with touches in the final third but it's probably goal threat that's the main stat that everyone's looking yeah. at between the three and who do you think comes out on tops for attempts on goals um I'm guessing Hazard maybe uh, it's actually KDB. He comes out with 21 attempts in the first six game weeks. Sanchez on 19 in the last six, and Hazard on 18 in the last six. And then I'm looking at the goal involvement stat, where Sanchez actually wins this one, and then Hazard second. And you think, who out of the three, who would you think is the biggest dribbler? It's actually uh, not KDB on this one. It's Hazard and Sanchez, both attempting 31 dribbles uh, between them, uh, each, sorry. Uh, KDB only with 11 but then you're looking at the likes of assist potential where KDB and Sanchez shine on 20 and 16 chances uh, created respectively but it's Hazard's actual downfall in this where he's only created nine chances in the last six yeah and then you're looking at who takes the corners Hazard and KDB both take corners and Sanchez doesn't I also looked at the bonus points so Hazard is on 12 bonus points Sanchez on 8 and KDB on 12 and you look at that in comparison to what they've actually done so KDB is on 2 goals 8 assists Sanchez on 6 goals and 3 assists and Hazard on 7 goals and 3 assists so if you're looking at any either three of them it's a coin toss and I, I'm doing it based on fixtures uh, I've actually put KDB in I did regret it thinking our oh, Hazard's going to be the option but I do think KDB is going to be a, a strong force going forward with his uh, fixtures yeah. coming up next Crystal Palace away Burnley away so he's got two pretty good fixtures coming up I know he's got Chelsea after that but for the next two games I do hope for a lot of points from KDB I mean, all the all the stats are there to support him. I just want us to appreciate the technical quality of the man. The ball into Aguero at the weekend. Paul, did you, did you see it? Any views on that? 
Um, I saw a match of the day. I, I don't know if you know, but I'm a Manchester United fan, so I tend to watch <laughs> um, City goals uh, on fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if we're talking eye of the needle stuff, that's exactly what KDB did um, to get that ball to Aguero. Just, um, Paul, did you want to make a comment on the on the defence of Manchester City? Yeah, um, coming on the back of what I was saying about not trusting City. Yeah. Um, while the Iceman was talking, I quickly did some uh, pulled out some aggregate stats from the database. And uh, this Crystal Palace versus Man City game, just to give you in summary, Palace win in 16.8% of simulations, win outright, whereas City win in 48.8% of simulations, right. which is the third highest win rate for next week, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Crystal Palace keep a clean sheet in only 7.6% of simulations. So City play Palace 10 times, City will score in nine of them. That's a pretty good indicator, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but the the clean sheet is uh, 27% simulations. If City play Palace four times, then Palace will only score in one. So I think that's pretty strong. So is that uh, so I guess what you were saying earlier, for a city defender? I guess that fits what you were saying earlier about the idea of someone keeping a clean sheet every few weeks rather than conceding every week. So that that would indicate that keeping the faith in someone like a John Stones might be worth it for this week. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. When um, you know we look at those fixtures, mm. Palace away, Burnley away. Chelsea at home, that's a toughie, isn't it? Uh, Leicester away, because Leicester have prioritised the Champions League. So I think their focus will be there. Then you've got Watford at home. You know, City are reasonably good to go up until game week 16, if you can rotate around game week 14. I like it. Okay, so potential for a City defender, if you've got one, to uh, certainly go in that direction for this week. I think that's probably enough said on this game for now. Certainly the waiting is towards City. Now let's go to a team that I think you know probably disappointed a little bit last weekend, not if you're a Chelsea fan, but Everton take on Swansea, who also are on the end of a thumping as well. Two teams that will be hurting going into this game against each other at the Toffees ground. Iceman, starting with you, is there anyone that's catching your eye for this one? Well, Stecklenburg had a shocker, didn't he? <laughs> he got a load of points a few weeks ago with the two penalty saves. A lot of people drafted him in then, and then I think they're probably regretting it now after it, the goals he let in were just, well, he, he let a few through his legs and he should have saved a few. He, he just didn't look good at all. I don't know if Everton were just having an off day or something, but Chelsea were amazing against them, so you've got to give them credit for that. It is Lukaku and Balassi, they, I I think they're the most effective partnership so far this season. Uh, Lukaku blanking this week, so he's, he's back to his Blankaku nickname again. Did you say Blankaku? <laughs> was, was, how's it going? That's his new name, Romelu Blank Blankaku. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, I like it. <laughs> but yeah, he he didn't look he didn't look too effective. I don't think Everton were in this game particularly. I do think they'll probably get a better result against Swansea because Swansea just looked dire at the moment. Um, you know. Bob Bradley doesn't know his uh, best eleven still. He seems to have Kingsley and Amat in and out of the team. I did say last week that Kingsley and Amat were not starting anymore, so that there was the four million option gone. But now he brought Kingsley back into the team, and also twelve thousand uh, drafting him in already this game week, so he could be a viable option. But you're never going to get a clean sheet from Swansea. 
they just they they don't seem to be uh, pulling the strings together at the moment. Sigerson was a shout a couple of weeks ago. I don't think he is anymore. Again, this this game is going to be looking towards the likes of uh, Lukaku and Balassi to get a few goals. Considering uh, Lukaku captain this game. Okay, so. Potentially, Lukaku is. I mean, certainly he'd be the person I'd shout based on form. He's been pretty high scoring and consistent leading into the Chelsea game. Uh, Chelsea working out how to defend now, so I wouldn't say that'd be representative of a Lukaku performance. Um, Paul, any sort of data on this one in terms of where the, the percentage is taking us, or is there any standout players for you? The bot seems to think that Everton have this in the bag. I would home, agree win, with that. home win 52.6% of simulations. Pretty huge, that. And a home clean sheet on uh, 38% simulations. That's pretty big. Looking at the most predicted scoreline, Everton 1, Swansea nil, 15%. Everton 1, Swansea 1, 15%. Everton 2, Swansea nil, 12%. Everton 2, Swansea 1, also 12%. So it seems to sort of lean towards uh, Everton having a one-goal advantage over Swansea, certainly. I think in this game, I wouldn't quite rule out Sigerson. I think he's the type of player that um, you could feasibly buy and just keep and sit for the season because his yeah. price is such that to get value for money for him from him over a whole season, he only really has to earn about 135 to 145 points, and he'll easily do that with a goal every five games. So as a fourth midfielder, you know I think he's all right, and I think this is the type of game where he could score. There's obviously uh, Blancarku. Um, Blancarku <laughs> is the type of player who scores in clumps. I'm not quite sure I'd go as far as it being a confidence player, but just well, he he does. You know, if he scores one, he'll then maybe score uh, every other game for yeah. a run of eight nine goals, and then he'll do nothing for, uh, for maybe five six seven games, and then he'll come along and score another batch of seven eight game seven eight goals. This is the type of game to prove that he's got better reforms. Coman's getting the most out of him. However. After this game, Lukaku has Southampton away, Man United at home, Watford away, Arsenal at home, Liverpool at home, Leicester away. So I think Everton have got a really tough run coming up here from from game week 13 all the way up to Christmas, you know, uh, just for Christmas game week 18. And, and really, I think if I was a Lukaku owner, in fact, if I was the owner of any Everton player, I'd be looking to play them in this game and then sell them next week. I don't, I certainly wouldn't be looking to bring anybody in for this game, even if someone like Balassi could, you know, get a goal every six games and yeah. it's the type of game where he might score. I don't think he'd be someone I would advocate bringing in. Interesting. And uh, just the other thing to mention, I guess the, the feature we said at the start of the pod was around the impact of the international fixtures. Belgium play Estonia one week before this tie. I don't believe, tell me if I'm wrong, I don't believe Belgium play again that week. They're certainly not in the friendly list I've got here. So actually he is going to get seven days rest. So as strikers go who are going to be affected by the international break, he if it's something you're thinking about, he may be less so than some of the others. Mm, it yeah, depends, depends when he's released by the club so by the international club doesn't it because the international association don't have to release him until the Wednesday so um, so it could be that they <laughs> keep them in their international Gestapo and yeah. train, <laughs> keep keep them behind for training and drills as long, you know. as, they look, as, long as they look after him that's all, that's all we care about so well, okay, Martinez, I think, isn't he? 
So bouncing. Very yeah. yeah. Using that to his advantage. But I think that's good advice about Everton. Certainly I wouldn't be getting rid of any of them for the uh, the Swansea tie. I think the issue with Lukaku is I do feel in, in recent seasons we're now talking more about him scoring more than uh, than previously. It's just whether he's going to get the service from a an in and out of form Barkley, a, a Balassi who's looking better, and then the rest of the midfield who are kind of a bit hit and miss. So a bit of a strange one, Everton. Um, okay, so that's uh, Everton versus Swansea. Let's have a look into our next tie. Southampton versus Liverpool. Liverpool, absolutely fantastic at the weekend. Um, I'm going to suggest that this is possibly the best Liverpool side that we've seen probably in the last 10 years going forward. For years, they've had very little in the way of width. Now they just seem to have quality all over the pitch. Sadio Mane has been an absolute revelation on that right-hand side for them. Iceman, first of all, they're playing against Saints, where you profited from Austin over the weekend. How do you see this one going? Um, I don't know. Uh, Fraser Forster's been withdrawn from the England team yesterday, so he's been described as a slight injury on the official website. Don't know what to make of that. Whether he'll, if he's not involved, then you're looking at pretty scary result. Depending, because I know Southampton have had a few injuries lately, but I I just think uh, they they lost their game against Hull, which is pretty embarrassing. But they are finding it hard after the Europa game. So this international break might be good for them to just have a rest and be ready for this game Charlie Austin does look the main threat for Southampton he's getting an attempt every 21.8 minutes so that's pretty yeah. high with the five goals in his last seven he's obviously the main asset there I do think Redmond's still an option but yeah I'm, I'm glad I've gone Charlie at the moment over Benteke who I took out but you look at Liverpool and you can pick from any of their midfielders Lana scoring Mane scoring you know, Coutinho and Firmino I'm glad I've got Firmino though who seems you know he's the guy that's starting up front uh, yeah. five five shots in the box uh, which was top of the midfielders in the last game week he just looks like the best option for me I haven't doubled up yet I, I did want to but I just couldn't fit him in with my KDB and Sanchez in the same team but I do think it's a great option too. Uh, I don't think it's a good option to triple up because you'll, you know, all your eggs are in one basket. Who knows? Southampton could perform like they did last season and just keep a, a really tight back line. But Liverpool, it's the fifth time they've scored over four goals this season in the last game against Watford, and they were yeah. they were ridiculous. They were just like you say, the best Liverpool team that I've ever seen as well. To, well, from memory, but they always just seem to let goal in. They just I just can't help it. No, they haven't quite. They haven't quite sure things up back there. I mean, I agree with you on Firmino. Profited from him on a weekly basis. Uh, I do think he's nailed on start up front most weeks now. I do feel. I've said it in the last few weeks that Sturridge is out of the picture at the moment. He's getting sub time, but I think the way that team's playing, why would you? change everything just before i come to you paul i'm just going to um, mention a tweet or rather a on, on twitter a poll that that i ran iceman again i'll take responsibility for that um looking at who people felt would uh, represent the best value in terms of price goals and assists in the coming weeks for liverpool um eight percent of you said adam lalana 33 percent Firmino, 11 percent mane but an overwhelming 48 percent and this is from 122 votes so a decent proportion went for coutinho and i think based on price his consistency and just his status as a probably a world-class number 10 probably the best direction to go at the moment but paul your thoughts on that 
I agree. I think uh, I think this is the the perfect game to uh, double up on Liverpool midfielders. If you haven't already, I'd remind listeners of the Liverpool versus Southampton League Cup game from December last year, where Liverpool beat Southampton six one, and that was the last time they played each other. Okay. The record for Southampton versus Liverpool at St Mary's um, over the last few years has been uh, Southampton lost two nil. Uh, Southampton lost. 3-0. There was one game where Southampton won 3-1 back in 2013. So that's how far we've got to go back to to get a Southampton win. So really, I, I, I think this is going to be one of those, an, another game where Liverpool will come out and just, you know, bag three, four goals. You know, they're, they're on fire at the moment. They're brilliant. I, th- I think there is a chance for Southampton to score. I do feel the Liverpool defence is not particularly solid enough. I mean, Klopp doesn't care, does he? He loves his rock and roll yeah. football. He shrugs his shoulders. You know, the, whenever the interviewers sort of say to him, well, oh, another goal conceded, he shrugs his shoulders, does that that big grin from, <laughs> I don't know if you remember reading Viz as a child, but uh, he reminds me of the fellow from Modern Parents um, <laughs> with his big teeth and uh you know, he, he gives out this toothy kind of. I don't really care if, yeah. yeah, I don't care if we concede one. So, uh, so there is a chance for um, somebody at Southampton to score. I could have quite easily imagined a, a Charlie Austin penalty in this game, and uh, I think you know it's if you need money to to buy in somebody like Eden Hazard, then selling Lukaku in advance of the difficult games to bring in Charlie Austin probably isn't really too difficult to shout for this Liverpool game. Because you can imagine him scoring, but I can imagine Liverpool scoring absolute loads. And consequently, you know, I'd be putting my money there. Thinking about the internationals, though, yeah, just to put a spanner in the works, Brazil do have Peru on the Wednesday, and that is you know six thousand miles away, and then they've got the Southampton on the Saturday. Uh, it is reported that Coutinho and Firmino might not be back for this game. Is it then worth thinking about Adam Lallana in this discussion? Because actually he's closer to home. He is liked in the England team, but at the same time there's players to rotate him with. He's not going to have the burden of travel quite as much. Is it worth thinking of him anticipating this as your second Liverpool midfielder? Or would you still have confidence actually that that Firmino and Coutinho will get enough time? I would look to actually Mane. He is looking a different class. I would say Lallana is still an option and yeah, he is good going forward. But I mean, the only thing stopping you from getting Mane is that the fact he's got the African Cup of Nations. But yes. he's just playing in that front three and he looks like the one who's going to get the goals from the Firmino assists. Uh, I know Firmino is probably going to get a goal nearly every game as well. But if I was to, to double up, I know everyone's looking at Coutinho. I would want to go Mane. I know he's due a blank, but I think just he, the, It's just the price, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's a little bit more. But I, I would think from if I had the choice, I would go Mane. Well, Mane's definitely um, looking the player that he threatened to be for so long uh, at Southampton. We saw it in kind of fits and starts. We always got the kind of the high returns one week and then we saw nothing for a few weeks after. But finally, in that system, it just suits him so well. And he's around better players now. So, okay. So we've got a few ideas there. We're thinking in terms of Saints, the Aust- Austin is the name that's been kind of um, touted there as a good rotation around Lukaku. Um, we're talking about the same Liverpool midfielder, so it's up to you whether you want to take the risk on the uh, the long-haul flight to travel or whether you want to go with maybe a Lallana or a, uh, or a Mane, perhaps. We've got Stoke and Bournemouth just, next. Just, just to quickly jump in there, it is quite interesting. I think um, 
the international factor must be weighing on the um, simulation bot's mind. Yeah, what's it saying about this one? It's pretty. It's in forty percent of simulations, Southampton beat Liverpool. <laughs> Interesting. Will, will it factor? How do, out of interest, how would it factor into its kind of algorithm or whatever you're using around you know the international break? Uh, it tends to use data like formation of team after previous internationals. I see. Uh, okay. so, um, but it depends on who the manager is because it only really looks at the formation of the team and the players selected if it's the same manager. Interesting. If, it, if it's a different manager, it just carries on as normal. For, formation and manager selection plays a big part in it's It's quite difficult to say exactly what it does because cause it, it does a thing called machine learning. So it, it, yeah. it analyzes its own data to almost generate its own algorithms. <laughs> I see. So it kind of does it itself. Which I've is got to say, it's an inspiring piece of kit. I'd love to know. I have to ask you a little bit more later around how it's developed and uh, how it works. But yeah, interesting. There's, there's I mean, a, there's, a, there's a white paper on it. Yeah, um, but but yeah, I'm I'm really surprised that in forty percent of simulation, Southampton win. That's that's pretty. It's a lot so higher Paul, than I thought it would have been. Paul, for you, you're someone that kind of takes kind of a lot of guidance from this. Does that change how you feel about the game at all? Or are you still confident in that Liverpool? attacking force no i'm confident from an fpl perspective it doesn't change my mind from a hard cash perspective <laughs> myself and my neighbors at the start of the season we um we all put 100 pound in a kitty and um every week we choose three games to bet on we always have to all agree on the same three games and we, we don't put much money on it but it comes out of this pot of money and uh and i think it makes me think that i probably won't pick southampton liverpool's as one of my uh, asides, as one of my bets. <laughs> I like it. Okay, well, let, let's uh, push on to Stoke and Bournemouth now. Before, um, you, before you do, Pete, uh, I, I'm bursting for a piss. So if you could just oh take us off for the Iceman's fist, that'd be lovely. And one of the more favoured features of the podcast since we went down to a duo. Uh, please take a moment to gather yourself, <laughs> grab a tea and biscuits, and enjoy. The uh, the sounds of the ice man's piss. <laughs> And that brings us on to Stoke versus Bournemouth as the fifth fixture of the weekend. Paul, if I could come to you first on this one as I went to the Iceman last time. Um, Bournemouth have interested us surgeons quite a bit in the last few weeks. We found the points have been fairly spread between midfield and defence. Stoke have flattered to deceive this season. Some really good performances, some individual goals from Shakiri recently, but still not quite proving consistent. What, what are your thoughts on this, Ty? I think this is... Probably for um, a bit of a purist point of view, I think this is a brilliant fixture. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. The reason why I'm looking forward to it is I think um, Bournemouth last season defensively were very, very good. Just couldn't keep the goals out, <laughs> as bizarre as it sounds. Probably because they had the worst keeper in the Premiership in Nets. 
Um, <laughs> but if they had a better keeper, I think they'd be be a lot stronger because defensively the stats are very very good. You know, number of interceptions, the the area of interceptions, the tackles, the the, the way they keep the ball out of the box. You know, they're very very good. And this season they haven't been. This season they've, they've been nowhere near as good as they were last season. And I don't know if that's because they're trying to be a bit more attacking because the formula didn't quite work last year. I'm not really sure of the underlying reason why the defence isn't as effective this year as it was last year. I think, uh, for me, they're probably relegation contenders. You know, to say it's early in the season, I really do think they are. Stoke are really interesting as well. Stoke, for me, uh, epitomise the absolutely average team. Concede as many shots as they create. You know, the the position stats are all usually smack bang in the middle. The pass stats smack bang in the middle. And for me, it's, it's the, the difference there is is apparent compared to Bournemouth in that they they have a really really good keeper. The keeper's absolutely amazing, yeah. and he he just um, hasn't been playing this season. So when when Stokes' keeper comes back and he starts saving more of those shots, then consequently we will see Stoke win because as I say they they concede as many shots as they create. Mm. So without with the absence of a really really good keeper, they'll they'll just concede as many goals as they will score. Shakiri coming back, that's that's a real good, uh, helpful bit for Stoke. Um, Arnie just doesn't seem to be quite right this season. Joe Allen, I think it's great, his new position. Um, we did a bit of a review under him on the site a few weeks ago, and the, the consensus was that I think his goal-scoring potential is reasonably repeatable. Uh, you know, it's, it, it should he should do all right this season. You know, he should probably hit the average for a midfielder of his type of about five to six goals, so a goal every five to six games, which is really good for his price. Yeah. So this Stoke versus Bournemouth game, I think, is probably going to be a game where both teams concede because Bournemouth's defence isn't very good and Stoke's key goalkeeper isn't there. And that's backed up by the bot, the bot saying that... Um, Stoke keep a clean sheet only in 18% of games and Bournemouth keep a clean sheet only in 14% of games. That would suggest to me, don't bring in a defender. Um, you know, stick with Allen if you've got him. If yeah. you've got um, the striker, uh, Wilson, you know, then go with him. Bit of a concern he didn't play last weekend. I don't know the reason why. Maybe one of you guys know the reason why. He got a slight knock in training, uh, but it does sound hopeful that he'll be back for the trip to Stoke. Yeah, so, so nothing... Super to worry about there, really. Paul, so, can I just uh, ask just just your comment on um, on Wilfred Boney because his name keeps coming up. We know he's got a great Premier League pedigree. Um, he's going to be playing regularly for Stoke now. There isn't really anyone who's going to challenge him for that centre forward role. What what are your views on him? Um, I don't know if you read the blog Stats Bomb. If you don't, it's awesome. Statsbomb dot com. Statsbomb dot com did a review of Boney. Now, I'm going to try and remember this the right way around. If I'm wrong, have just read the review and then you'll, you'll say... Oh, if, well, we'll check on about. stats, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it basically compared his shooting position uh, pre-Man City and then at Man City. That worked out that Boney is particularly good at scoring with his left foot. And if you can play balls into his left foot, then he will predominantly score goals but if you put him anywhere else where he's not going to hit it with his left foot, then he's just an absolutely average striker and nothing special. 
And whenever I've watched match of the day and I've seen him running, I kind of I think, right, so he needs to get his left foot, pass it over there, and the ball never ends up at the point where I perceive the ball should be in order for Boney to you know, have the best chance of scoring. And I'd love for somebody just to show this stats article to Mark Hughes and say, <laughs> look, that's how you get Boney to score. And then for Hughesy just to have a go with it. Because I do think he's got potential. I just don't think Stoke could play to his strengths yet. And until Stoke do play to his strengths, I wouldn't buy him. And just, just to add to that, I suppose, to, to support that, just from a, a purely, in terms of the personnel around him perspective, if you look at Arnautovic, if you look at Shakiri, they're quite direct players. They're never going to be players that float the ball into the box for him. Um, I see them as more direct players. So actually, compared to what he had providing for him at City and at Swansea to some extent, I don't think he's quite got the personnel around him to maximise that potential with the exception of Joe Allen, who can find a pass, but clearly that's not working at the moment. So really interesting that uh, left foot is the way to go for Wilfred Boney. Yes, it, it, it was a strange um, decision to buy, in my opinion, because Stoke for many years have, have played with the type of striker who receives the ball and holds the ball up for everybody else to run yeah. at him. And Boney's not like that. I mean, he's a big, strong man, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's, a, he's more he's direct, very, isn't he? Yeah, he is more direct. Yeah, he's, he's not the type of person who's going to have... He's about to go and wait for everybody else to come running at him. He's a bit greedier than that. So uh, so I don't think he's a good FPL pick. I think he's a really, really good player who could be great if played correctly by the manager. But I don't see him as being an FPL choice at the moment. But I do recognise that in this game in particular, I'm expecting Stoke to score one or two and Bournemouth to at least score one. Interesting. Well, certainly not fitting perhaps with the previous identity of a Stoke team that had a James BT, a Ricardo Fuller, a Crouch as your, as your target man up front. Um, Iceman, any views on this one? Yeah, I, I was looking at, because I brought him in, Alan, and then I was thinking about, oh, well, people are going to be looking to bring in a, a cheap price midfielder. And Alan, the Welsh polo I brought in, didn't bring in Gundogan because I couldn't afford yeah. him. But I thought I'd do a quick uh, stats comparison between the two. And Alan still looks good going forward, as Chorley said, he is a threat, but he actually falls short in compared with stats with Gundogan. So if you choose him between the two, I'd, I'd definitely go him instead of Alan. As the last four games, he beats him in attempts on goal, 9-8, to eight, chances created again, 9-8, to eight, and total touches in the final third. But the stats are close, so although they both scored twice in the last four, I would opt for Gundogan in the long run, due to him uh, being in the better team as well, because yeah, a five-point, what is he now, 5.6, 5.8, He's 5.8, isn't he? he? He's still a great option at that price in a Man City team, which is so attacking going forward. I'm looking at, at the Bournemouth players as well, because I, I know you, you've been saying, Charlie, that they don't look as good this season. I just think, I've watched the game against Sunderland, and they did dominate it. I thought they got unlucky in the game. They are without a win in their last seven away games, so that goes against them. But their football they're playing now, they do, they do a passing game, which I love to watch. It's like it's like replicating Arsenal, just on a lesser scale. And yeah, it, it looks good. And I do see a load of goals coming out. Stanislas is now back, and he already has four attempts in the last game. So he, again, could be coming in contention at 5.5. 
Um, I haven't compared the stats to him, Allen and Gundogan. Uh, maybe that's something I might do in the future, but he's more or less playing as a, as a striker. But his overall position could be anywhere. That's the thing with him. They haven't got a kind of set position where each player plays in a regular spot. So looking at Stanislas going forward, he, he's one which... Yeah, he's he's a bit of a punt if you want to try and hope for that. As as you say, Stoke defence, they can let in goals, so maybe he's one to go for. Callum Wilson, I would still uh, be thinking about him. He's not been playing brilliantly the last few games, but he's always got that potential to score a few goals. I saw it last season at the start of the season. As we've mentioned the last few weeks, any of their defence is still going to be an option but I wouldn't bring them in the only person I'd bring in from Bournemouth this week which I'd think about as a as a random punt would be Stanislas other than that Alan for Stoke for me a nice shout there just a um just a quick correction on Boney as well but uh, some of you might have been scratching your head when we said left foot we we did of course Paul mean Boney's a right footer mm. <laughs> I did absolutely yeah yeah um, <laughs> I also uh, hold the pen in the wrong hand as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> That probably um, ties us into what we're going to do next with the podcast because we've covered um, five games. Thanks for your your input there, chaps. Paul's brought some really good stuff to this pod and as you've heard, we've had quite a lot of stats to, to back up what we've been talking about. So we're actually going to end the podcast now and complete the uh, the next five games the following week prior to next game week. We're also going to answer your Twitter questions in that pod as well. And I guess that will also give us a chance to discuss the, the Sanchez situation a week on, uh, which might help with your transfers. Thank you for your, for your Twitter questions. Indeed, we are going to look to cover those in the next uh, in the next session. I know that Paul was just interested in answering uh, one now. Can I, shall I come to you, Paul? Yeah, there was a brilliant question that came in, which said, uh, how do I get KDB Sanchez... Aguero, Hazard and Costa into my team which I thought was a brilliant question and it had my head scratching so I had a go and uh, I wonder what you think of this team guys Um, Inets, Heaton and Pickford yep, safe options lots of save bonus for those two yep in defence, Evans, McCauley, so doubling up on West Brom. Me and Lowton, doubling up on Burnley. Barrigan from uh, Middlesbrough. So doubles, but rotation with uh, Barrigan there. Yeah. Not very good rotation, mind you, but they are cheap as chips. Then you got in midfield, Sanchez Hazard KDB. Up front, Aguero and Costa, and that's pretty much your first 11. And then on the bench, to give a bit of variation, Fletcher, Barami and uh, Diamande. Interesting. Iceman thoughts on that? Uh, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think agree. It... Don't, don't do it, but it is affordable. It's it is affordable. It's not a bad one. And to be fair, if those, if those bigger players fire in that week, it doesn't really matter what everyone else is doing because you're going to score big realistically, aren't you? Okay, well, hopefully that's uh, given a few ideas to that uh, Twitter follower. Thanks for that, Paul. I'm just going to shout out a few contacts for this week. First of all, we've uploaded uh, an article onto the web website for the Fantasy Football Surgery, very much 
Big thank you to Padfall for writing for us again. Written a really good article around jumping onto bandwagons and avoiding doing that and generally his view. So if you go to www.fantasyfootballsurgery.com, you can read that and his previous article there. Some really, really good stuff. Um, Follow us on Twitter. Send us your questions, general comments. We're trying to cover more Premiership games as they happen, so follow us on there at ff underscore surgery listening to us on soundcloud now hopefully and you can also follow us on itunes give us a comment and a review let us know what you think always helpful all that's left to say though is goodbye to the panel for this week um so he's agreed to join us again for next week's pod so we're looking forward to that but paul thank you for your contribution today you're very very welcome thank you for having me fantastic Iceman cheers Paul cheers Paul and uh, we look forward to speaking about the next five FPL fixtures in the next podcast